Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the beautiful game, the official league and podcast with the journalists and commentators that bring you all the action every weekend from around this beautiful country. And if this was a league and match against Lille last night, Kylian Mbappe would already have scored. This week, we're joined by former host of Le Beaujeu, presenter of the Ligue 1 show and commentator, Matthew Spiro. Matt, great to have you back wearing a different hat. <laughs> Thank you very much, Robbie. I'm I'm actually really excited because uh, it's really cool coming on as a guest. So I don't have to prepare the whole program, and I can give lots of opinions, which you know sometimes as host I was a bit frustrated about. So yeah, they're they're coming up. Well, that's that's good. We we'll look forward to some uh, bridge burning and uh, and and lots of flying insults and and hot takes. We're also joined by CBS Viacom's French football expert Jonathan Johnson. This is two men perfectly qualified to unwrap a big weekend of league action. JJ, how did you go this weekend and how are you feeling? Hey there, guys. Great to be on with you. Great to be back on the show. No, I had a, had a very enjoyable weekend, just being on holiday. So it was nice to get back into the swing of things league on wise. And uh, what a weekend of action. Looking forward to uh, picking through it with you guys. Speaking of holidays, this will be my last weekend, or this was my last weekend of league and football in the correct time zone because I'm flying back down under and uh, that uh, terrible stretch of waking up at all hours of the night to watch French football will uh, return for me. Coming up, MNM run riot in Lille. We'll have all the stats analysis and Matt Spiro was there, so we'll be head behind the scenes with him as well. That's coming up later. Alarm bells are ringing on the Côte d'Azur where Monaco and Nice are already in danger of seeing their seasons melt away like a kid's soft-serve ice cream in the Riviera sun. Marseille brought on Dimitri Payet to help them break down a stubborn Nantes at the Velodrome. We'll hear from the Canaries World Cup winner Moussa Sissoko, while unheralded, in fact derided right here on Le Beaujeu, Clermont Foot, as well as promoted Toulouse, are surprising early. They've got two wins on the trot. We'll have the next instalment of Deja Vu for your chance to win a Ligue 1 jersey. And we've got questions and comments from you, the listeners. Don't forget, we encourage you all to get in contact with us. Ask Matt, JJ, myself, or the other members of the panel questions. Have your comments. Ask for restaurant recommendations, if you like. Translation queries. Let us know. We're happy to oblige on Twitter at Ligue 1 Podcast and via email, of course, Ligue 1 Podcast at gmail.com. But we start the pod in Lyon, where, as the famous song goes, the Lion sleeps tonight, or at least they did in the first half. Matt Spiro, you were commentating this one before they roared back into action. 4-1 winners on the night. Leon are two wins out of two. Tete, one of the heroes. Paqueta's still there. Usem Awa wasn't. Matt, in the end, a deserved win. But uh, consistency, still an issue for Peter Boss's side. Yeah, yeah. Peter Boss was really furious with the first half performance. Um... I think Leon, 
there was something familiar about it the way they they scored in in the first couple of minutes terrible mistake from from Adil Rami who miscued a back pass and Lacazette Lacazette gobbled it up but um after that yeah they had loads of possession they were passing it around and they just seemed to sort of get themselves into this uh, um I don't know position where they just feel a little little bit too secure and they weren't really creating anything and as Peter Boss said it was all far too slow in the first half they were lacking aggression and um one one at half time Tardieu with the penalty and then they came out and got two quick fire goals at the at the start of the second half and actually the second half certainly for 20 or 30 minutes it was really I think the sort of football Peter Boss wants to see it was um super aggressive high tempo pressing high up the pitch I mean Trois just just couldn't get out um, and the, it looked like the goals would would sort of keep on coming um, yeah an impressive impressive performance from the Brazilian Tete who um, is looking like a really good signing three goals for him now we had a, a first start for uh, for Corentin Tolisso as well he was involved in the all-important second goal um, and I, I look at Leon. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous that they finished eighth last season. Um, they should, without question, with the squad they've got, they should be top three. Uh, whether they can push Paris Saint-Germain and make uh, make something out of the title race this season is 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 another question. I think we've got to we've got to sort of be a bit careful with with predictions. I remember a couple of years ago they they put six past Angers in one of the first games. I think they won 3-0 and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, Leon this year." And then they and then they went Silvino to pieces. Silvino was only, coach, wasn't he? They yeah, well they've only beaten Ajaxio and Troyes so far. So, um so let's see if they can find if they can find that that consistency. But you look at, you know, you mentioned Usamawa not not in the match day squad. He's perhaps on his way to Palace or Forest. We'll we'll have to wait and see, but you look at the quality that that they've got on the bench. Um, there's so much talent in in that Leon side. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully for Leon supporters, they can they can find they can find that sort of consistency. But yeah, Trois are one of the teams that are going to struggle, aren't they, to 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 stay up this season? Certainly, looking that way, JJ. Usemawa left out. We saw both Lacazette and Corentin Tolisso in the starting lineup. Um, as Matt says, there are there are people, there are players on the bench. Have we seen the end of of the transfers at, at, at Olympic Lyonnais this season? There's only a week and a bit left in the transfer market. Is there is there a possibility that they they reinforce a little bit more, that they bolster this squad, or that they get rid of some some some? I wouldn't call it dead weight. Usemawa is not dead weight, but there's certainly been a sharp fall from grace for for him over the last eighteen months as well. Yeah, I mean, it would be lovely to to see him stay and sort of be part of this Made in Leon project that's coming together quite nicely. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, he hasn't really been the same player now for the last couple of years since his head was turned. Uh, you know, and I think if he feels that he needs to go elsewhere, uh, you know, try Pastor's new, uh, you know, then uh, then good luck to him. You know, we'll miss sort of the potential talent that he could be on his day in Ligue 1, uh, you know, but he hasn't been performing at that level uh, consistently. Uh, and it looks like Leon are starting to get themselves into a nice uh, place, you know, like like Matt said, you know, starting, trying to find their rhythm, maybe getting a little bit too comfortable against a team like Trois who you would expect to be battling at the bottom end of the table, but also at the same time, so nice to see so many of these homegrown talents, uh, you know, playing such a, a key role for Leon. You know, they managed to overcome Anthony Lopez's self-sabotage earlier on this season as well. So fingers crossed there's not too much of that to come for OL. But in terms of the transfers, I mean, I think maybe Boss would probably want to add 
potentially one more new face, uh, you know, if certainly if Awad does end up making the move. But if he doesn't, you know, then I think it really is a, a an opportunity, you know, perhaps a, a chance for, a, you know, sort of a, a second wind in, in Awad's uh, Leon career, because I do think that it would be fantastic to see him succeed with this project that's now going to be looking, you know, towards the academy once again and to have such a homegrown flavor to, to the group. So if he doesn't move on, uh, I do think that it won't be the the end of the world. But if he if he does end up going, then I think Boss, you know, will definitely want at least one more new face. Go, Maddie. I think it's a bit, little bit harsh to say since Usamao's head was turned. I mean, I, I know there's been talk about attitude issues with him. I think it was uh, a, it was around when he was called up to France, wasn't it? He called he was called yeah, up to the was, France squad. He, and... he was very close a couple of years ago to joining Arsenal or Juventus. Um, think he he was keen to go but he's had so many ankle problems I mean sometimes when I watch him it's a bit harsh but I say you know he, he plays a little bit like an old man or a you know or a like a, a veteran and I just think injuries have have hampered him he's such a lovely player you know two three years ago that Champions League run to the semi-final he, 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 he was absolutely phenomenal so that that's a shame I think Moussa Dembele is another question mark in terms of his his future um, just one year left on, on his contract. Lacazette's clearly going to play as, as the centre forward every game. Um, Leon don't have Europe to to, to play in this season, so uh, they've you know Ryan Shirky's just signed a, a new contract as well. It is it is really exciting to have sort of seven eight homegrown players in 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 your starting eleven or finishing eleven, whatever. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. And I, you know, despite the awful results, Peter Boss seems to be really really well liked so maybe 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 something's brewing in Lyon about Matt and this was one of the revelations of the last 18 months or so Maxence Cacare who was on the bench um again at kickoff and uh this youngster I mean I know you're a fan of Lyon's youth academy Matt and you've been following it very closely for a number of years but Johan Lepinon who's the seems to be the latest yeah youngster who's holding down a position in that and that center midfield and he is another now that looks that looks very good yeah he's been he's he's he was signed this summer from Caen uh, only 19 really impressive in the, in the first two matches but um Cacare's brilliant I'm a massive Maxence Cacare fan he's had a knee problem and um that that's why he hasn't been in the team yet but he's you know I, I think last season he was one of the only kind of positives under under Peter Boss and his con- contract situation was really important in, in in the summer he had a year left um Leon desperately desperately needed Maxence Cacare to to extend and he has done um so so that's really positive and Jean-Michel Olas was, was six, sort of, I think yeah Olas was bigging him up saying you know this is our future captain etc Max knows he needs to stay and you know putting the pressure on as Olas does um but he, yeah he's been a leader throughout all Leon's uh youth teams and, and and stuff like that so he came on he played 20 minutes and he actually he he set up the second Tete goal by winning a tackle surging forward little pass he's yeah I mean Kakare, I, uh, but we'll see we'll see because they've got they're, they're actually no playing problems pa- for Maxence Kakare then yeah Kakare didn't know but they're playing Paqueta as one of the midfield three so that's just two midfield places you think that Tolisso's you know if he's fit it's going to have one of them Kakare the other but yeah, Le Penon looks like a looks like a really good signing. If you think things are bad for Troyes, they're one of seven sides without a win so far this season. Lyon, with back-to-back wins, are one of five undefeated. But spare a thought for Saint-Étienne. This is the Ligue 1 official podcast, so we're not going to spend too much time talking about Les Verts. 
but they finished their match on the weekend with eight men on the wrong end of a 6-0 scoreline against Luave, three sendings off, winless in four, bottom of the second division standings for Saint-Étienne. Things not looking good in the forest, as it's affectionately known, uh, just outside of Olympic Lyonnaise Fife. Speaking of doom and gloom, What's going on on the glamorous French Riviera? Monaco comprehensively outplayed by Lens, eliminated from the Champions League for the second year in a row in qualifying. They sit 11th, having won their opening game. They're winless in their last two. This is sounding a bit like a broken record, JJ. It cost Nico Kovac his job last year. What's the story for Philippe Clement and how's he looking? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, history seems to be repeating itself. Uh, you know, and it is is really frustrating. Uh, you know, as as lovers of French football, you know, having that desire to see Ligue 1 represent itself in the best possible way on the continental stage, to see Monaco, you know, one of the stronger teams in the league, you know, falling short at, at such an early stage, it is frustrating. I mean, I I guess trying to look at the glass half full, you'd hope, uh, you know, that dropping into the Europa League, Monaco will be able to make a real fist of that, uh, you know, this uh, this season, and hopefully, you know, go on a deep run, you know. Given the players in their squad, they will rightly be considered sort of one of the favourites from the off, I think. Uh, you know, and it would just be so nice to have, uh, you know, a couple of French teams sort of in and around the business end of the competition, like we did last season, you know, when we had uh, the likes of Marseille, uh, you know, going deep uh, in the in the Conference League. So it is a bit of a worry at the moment, the way that Monaco started the season, especially given that it's not the first time we've seen them like this as well. They just, they seem so lethargic. It's almost like they're a couple of weeks late in their, in their preparation to be at where they need to be in order to perform in those games. And we know, I mean, it's not something new for, for league on size that a lot of these teams have sort of issues, uh, you know, being able to balance, you know, the, the domestic and continental duties and being able to give the best of themselves on both fronts. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, Monaco have already fallen foul of that uh, in Europe uh, and they're struggling domestically as well. But that shouldn't take away from the way that Franquez has this long side playing. They are not an easy team to come up against. I think that's three wins on the trot now in the Principality, which itself is not an easy place for, for many teams to go, despite, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the sort of lack of atmosphere, unless it's a rivalry match. Uh, so I think, you know, Lens deserve massive credit, but this is a bit worrying for Philippe Clément, especially when there was sort of suggestions that, that he might be under a bit of pressure before they went on that fantastic run at the end of last season. It just feels like they almost need to be under a bit of pressure, under the cosh, before they actually wake up and start playing, you know, really to the sum of their parts. It is. No, I mean, I'll it's give a- my, my mea culpa here just quickly, Matt, because I predicted Monaco to be one of the sides to, to perform well this season, to go on with it. And I wasn't expecting this, this hiccup early on. Um, but Matt, the, this inability to play European football and league and football that JJ spoke about. And Monaco, they came back early. Their preseason was was a week and a half earlier than last season. They they knew they wanted to avoid this this slip up. They should have been ready for this. Matt, what is it? Is it a mental is it a mental problem? Yeah, look, I wouldn't be hammering nails into Monaco's coffin. I mean, they you know, it's it's I think they were unbeaten in eight before this. They they took four points from the first two games including a draw against uh, against Wren, which is not you know, not disastrous. So, you know, it's it's definitely a hiccup. It's definitely a worrying result. I think, you know, JJ is, is spot on to say that Lance, Lance deserve credit that, you know, they're not an easy side to play. Um, they're one of, you know, I, I, I look at 
a lot of these French teams, and I was commentating Lille uh, last night. We'll, we'll we'll talk about Lille. You know, they've lost a lot of players, and you just question a little bit the the players they've brought in. But Lens seem to be proactive. They seem to be bringing players in before they sell. Um, you know, Openda's started very well in attack. Abdul Samid in uh, in in midfield. They they bought really well. There's no question about that. Uh, Monaco. I look at the the midfield. It's it's a worry. Um, with Chuamani having gone, uh, Fofana wasn't there um, at, at the weekend. So you're looking at Matazo and, and Jean Lucas, which is you know it's not great. Minamino has been really really poor so far, um, which I'm surprised about. I thought he'd uh, he'd, he'd be a big hit. Maybe maybe he will. So I'd say look, let's just wait and see um, a little bit with Monaco, but. They are affected by Europe. I mean, they went out last year in really cruel circumstances to Shakhtar. And it was the same this year against PSV. They were the better team and um, they were going through in the 89th minute of the second leg. And, you know, when you when you add that to the fact that they threw away second place or they lost second place in the 96th minute of the season when uh, when Lens equalised against them. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to kind of take on board. But I'd say, yeah, give... Monaco time. Philip Clement's a good coach. I I, th- I think they'll be okay, but yeah, like like Leon, you know, I I wouldn't bet on them finishing top three. They they probably should as well. JJ, credit where credit's due. You touched on the fact that Franck Ayes has been doing a, a remarkable job. Matt talked about the recruitment and the way the club seems to just everyone seems to be on the same page. And obviously, it's easier to to fly a little bit under the radar at Lens, who have only just come up two seasons ago, but. Franck Ayres, it's his third season in charge, only just started. He, he only coached two games the season before that when they, when they won promotion during that COVID-stopped season. They were a little bit lucky, perhaps, to have, to have been in the right place at the right time. He was the right man in the right place at the right time. But, is, but what is his future and how far can he go? Is he following the, the Christophe Galtier playbook here as a... As a as an unsung French coaching hero. Absolutely. I mean, I think that at this moment in time, it's it, it's not stretching things to say that Franck is is one of the bright upcoming coaches uh, in Ligue 1, uh, you know, definitely sort of following in Galtier's footsteps. Uh, and I think it's a really exciting time for Lens as well. I mean, you look at, you know, consecutive se- seventh place finishes since coming back to Ligue 1, hoping to push on this season. You know, they've done really well to keep hold of Seco Fofana. I know that they've lost guys like Jonathan Klos, uh, you know, but when you look at his contractual situation, that move makes a bit more sense, especially given his age. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, Lens, you know, they were just shy of Europe last season. Uh, you know, they've strengthened logically. I mean, I I, th- I think that the the sort of balance that they have between Ez as a coach and Florent Gisolfi as the, the sporting director is is fantastic. I, I think there's it's two very well-matched guys for the club that they're at. Uh, and I think that Lens fans can feel really optimistic about what's going on at the moment. There's a real feel-good factor around that club. And obviously, the, the Bollard is a, is a fantastic venue, you know, one of the sort of iconic French football venues because of the, the atmosphere it produces on match day. Uh, you know, and I think Lens, they're a very important club for, for France to have, you know, back in Ligue 1 and back doing well. And to have somebody like Ez you know, coming to the fore with a club like that, similar to the way that Galtier did with Saint-Étienne, another, you know, sort of iconic, uh, you know, institutional figure in French football. Uh, you know, I think it's a really good grounding for him. 
it wouldn't surprise me if bigger clubs, given what he's managed to achieve in Ligue 1 over the last two seasons, assuming that Lance continue on this trajectory, that bigger clubs start looking at him. I mean, we're talking about sort of, you know, potentially alarm bells ringing for Monaco. We'll get onto Nice in a bit. But, you know, if those clubs are forced into managerial changes mid-season, you know, if they're looking within Ligue 1, I think Franquez is probably one of the first names that will crop up on any potential list because of the job that he's and done. Lucien Favre's had three games, John. Come on. <laughs> No, I mean that's I'm not. I'm not that, that, well, let's let's go let's let's go straight on to Nice then and the 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 sticky case of Lucien Favre because isn't there some famous saying in French that you that you never go back to your ex and Lucien Favre who who did a fantastic job with Nice I think he took them to third place in his first season second season didn't work out so much he got a nice offer to to go to to Germany um, now he's back Leo Jardim is a great example of, of what not to do just down the road at, at Monaco. Lucien Fab, yes, Matt, he's only three games in. We know he's a he's a great guy. I watch his press conferences because I think he's super interesting. He's always he's he's a great human being or comes across as a, a fantastic human being. What do you make of what's going on down there at Nice? Because also two years ago when when Radcliffe took over Nice after their difficult period with 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 Chinese ownership that that didn't work out for them, we thought the future looked so bright. Galtier, it clearly didn't work out. There was something not right there. Lucien Favre is back. Yes, three games in. Give him time. He can turn things around, of course. There's no William Saliba. There have been changes. Aaron Ramsey's there now. There were a couple of send-offs on the weekend as well in, in what was a third game without a win for them. Yeah, look, I think Lucien Favre has come in at a time when the club is, is unwell. Um, the end of last season wasn't wasn't pretty at all. There was real discontent among Not the fan finals. base, yeah. particularly after their non-performance in in the Coupe de France final. Um, clearly, behind the scenes um, between Galtier and um, uh, what's the name Fournier, Julien Fournier, the former sporting Julien director, Fournier, yeah. um, they weren't getting on. I'm not. I mean, it's it's hard to judge owners, but I'm not. I'm not impressed with. With Ratcliffe and, and and Ineos, insofar as you know, in the week leading up to the Coupe de France final, he made a bid to buy Chelsea. Which okay, he wanted to buy Chelsea. Apparently, um, there was no kind of comments here about being focused on the Cup final and being committed to Nice and and what have you. Uh, a lot of stories at the moment about him buying Manchester United. Now I know he's he's not said anything, and it's maybe more you know fanciful stuff from Man United fans who just want a. Uh, a brighter future. Um, but I don't know. And just, you know, in terms of the investments, in terms of the signings, you know, they're not, they're not getting me excited. I mean, if they, they bring in uh, Cavani and Nicola Pepe, who, you know, players that they've been certainly looking to buy and Pepe looks lightly. I'm not so sure about Cavani, but um, maybe, you know, maybe this will be an exciting season. I think the fans are going to be absolutely behind Lucien Favre, who is a hugely popular figure. Um, so give him, give him time, give him, give him the tools. I think there's, there's a lot of work to do, but you're right. There was huge optimism. Nice, nice have got everything, you know, beautiful city, um, incredible part of the world, obviously a club with a, with a history, a wonderful stadium. The difficulty is, you know, the fans don't particularly like the stadium. It's, it's difficult to get to. They prefer the old uh, Stade du Rey where, um, the atmosphere could be pretty, pretty hostile, but there's no question that the potential is there. Um, so it is going to be a transition year for, for Nice and they are worrying moments uh, right now. And to lose to Clermont 
two men sent off, Lamina and, and Toddy Boat, was a, it was a very bad day at the office. For Manchester United fans, perhaps uh, they, they can see Ineos doing wonders on the cycling roads are, are around Europe and, and around the world. But football, I mean, Lausanne Sport went straight down into the Swiss second division. Nice uh, are, are not that in that much dire trouble at the moment either, but they need to they need to get some runs on the board in terms of their football. And as Matt says, it's all changed. Julian Fournier's gone there as well. He was a hugely influential figure there. Do you agree with Matt Spiro? Do you have something you want to get off your chest to Jonathan Johnson? Let's uh, hear from you at Le Bourgeois, the Ligue 1 podcast handle on Twitter or via email at Podcast at gmail.com. Coming up, we're going to talk Marseille versus Nantes. We're going to hear from Musa Sissoko. And of course, we're going to talk about PSG's 7-1 record victory over Lille. But now it's time for our weekly quiz. And this season, it's working a little bit differently. You have to answer... Who am I? Plus the extra little question involved. And then next week, to uh, round out the month of August, we're going to have a super question you'll have to answer to uh, go into the draw, as well as have won one of the, uh, or got correct, one of the Deja Who's this month to go into the draw for the monthly shirt giveaway. So Deja Who, and this will be a test for Matt and JJ as well. I was born in Europe but raised in South America. I made my professional debut in my adopted homeland before moving to France, where I earned my fame and fortune. While I'm an undisputed club legend for one league outfit, I played for four different teams over 15 years in France, winning the championship and the Coupe de France. Not considered a technical player, I was blessed with a golden boot. Despite being eligible to play for two countries, my exploits in France failed to earn me a single international cap. Who am I and what is my Ligue 1 record? Wow. Now, this is a tricky one. And uh, last week's was proved to be quite tricky as well. We didn't get too many correct answers for, for last week. So it is tough, but I assure you winning the Ligue 1 shirt at the end of August and getting your name up on the on the the panel in the in the Le Bourgeois club room is worth it as a monthly winner. JJ, any any ideas on that one for the moment? Yeah, I'm gonna have to come back to you on that one. That is uh, it's is a bit early in the morning for me to be racking <laughs> my brains like that. But uh, no, that is a very it, it is it is very but, early on a Monday morning. That's re- no really hard, Rob. Really well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like well, you've look, been working. These guys, quite... our fans, are very good. No, I know, and I've, but I feel like you've been working a lot on that this week. And I saw the little smirk at the end. You were quite proud of yourself when you'd finished the clear. I mean, golden <laughs> boot, but he can't have won a golden boot if he's not an international, can he? I, it, it's tough. It's tough. I don't know. Maybe he can. Mm. I, I, I don't know the answer. Okay. Well, if <laughs> you do know the answer, and I'm sure there are plenty of you out there who will uh, scour the internet and your brains to try to try and find it. Send in your answers to ligampodcast at gmail.com. We're going to keep moving. Marseille versus Nantes. Alexis Sanchez. He impressed, I thought, particularly in the first half in a lone striking role. But it wasn't until Dimitri Payet came on and gave him some support. He was left on the bench again by Igor Tudor. He came on and made the difference. JJ? The OM coach said after the game that at some point they'll play together. 
Does the prospect of two veteran forwards less than three weeks out from Champions League football hold OM in good stead? They were provisionally top of the table on, on Saturday night as well with two wins and a draw from three games. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at the the Marseille situation since the beginning of the season, since Tudor came in. Obviously, uh, you know, losing Sampaoli over the summer, not really what Marseille, uh, you know, would have wanted, certainly not what Marseille fans would have wanted. Uh, you know, and Tudor really has sort of put the cat amongst the pigeons with that squad. But also at the same time, you know, perhaps ruffling a few feathers is not the worst thing to have done with Marseille because, you know, they are a talented group of players, uh, you know, one of sort of the stronger teams in Ligue 1, a team that I think probably could have done better than they did last season, certainly when you bear in mind the the, the UEFA Conference League. And I know that losing Payet, you know, had a massively detrimental impact on them towards the, the well, end of the season. Have, but hang on, the Parisian JJ, I'm going to interrupt. They could have done better than <laughs> second last year. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking more about their their European run because I, I think for me, I'm I'm still struggling to get over that a French team didn't manage to win uh, either the Europa League or the Europa Conference League. But I think as well with with Paye, uh, you know, and it's the same with a couple of members of that that Marseille squad. I think too many players perhaps have gotten into a comfort zone over the last couple of years. Because while they perform well domestically, you know, they don't perform as well on the on the continental stage. And, you know, Marseille being back in the Champions League, they need to perform much better than they have over, you know, the last over the last couple of years that they've been back in the Champions League. Uh, and I think, you know, Pae is still absolutely a key figure for Marseille. He's still working his way back to full fitness. Uh, you know, and I think that Tudor perhaps is looking at the the reaction that he's gotten from some of these players for the moment in the in the group. Uh, you know, and perhaps is liking what he's seeing that there. You know, there's there's a bit of fire, there's a little bit of animosity. I mean, you don't want too much of that at Stade Vélodrome, but also at the same time, you know, if he can light a fire under some of these players, then suddenly you might have a Marseille that's performing you know, well domestically and also on the continental stage, because we don't really want to see, you know, OM finishing bottom of their Champions League group, getting embarrassed in some of their results like we've seen in previous years. You know, we want a Marseille that's strong, that's able to compete, you know, and actually, you know, show Ligan in a good light uh, in the Champions League. So fingers crossed that Tudor in the way that he's, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get some of these players motivated, you know, bring in new quality like Alexis Sanchez, you know, suddenly helps Marseille turn the corner and sort of be not just one of those sort of nearly teams, but a team that can actually challenge, you know, for for meaningful silverware, you know, perhaps go on a, a Coupe de France run and, and pick up a title there. You know, that would be, it would be nice to see Marseille, you know, sort of getting back amongst the trophies once again from a, a, a you know, a French football lover's uh, point of view. I know Matt is quite sceptical about me well-wishing uh, Marseille, but uh, <clears throat> I, I honestly, I think that this Marseille group is capable of doing better than it has done over the last couple of years. And that's that's not me sort of sniffing at what they have achieved. It's just knowing what they perhaps could have achieved, you know, had things worked out a little differently. And, you know, I'm not sort of downplaying the importance of losing Paye last season in that run in the Conference League, because obviously that was... Uh, you know, a huge blow for them. But it just, it felt so frustrating to see Lyon and Marseille get so close to, to European success for Lyon, uh, you know, and then for it to ultimately, uh, you know, not quite work out. Going to have to pull you up there, JJ, because you say Payet, I say Payet. And this was one of the things I was tossing around in my head, uh, uh, coming up with the ideas for, the, for, the, for this week's show. And Crystal Palace 
released a video of all the players saying how they say their name. And I'm, I'm getting more and more as well coming into coming coming to mind of players that we don't always know how to pronounce their names. And and I I thought we say Payet, as in the Ilda reunion where he's from. We do we do pronounce the T. Do you have inside running on that one, or you just prefer to say? And certainly, and this and this goes without saying, that you can say it either way. And it does go in French. It, it it goes through no problem. But but where do you stand on that? What about someone like Ludovic Blas, the 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 Montpellier goalkeeper Omlin? I heard that it was Omlin and not Omlin, which we which we could say as well. Where where and we'll we'll bring Matt in on on this one as well. Matt Payet or Payet? What Payet. do you say? Payet. And for a commentator, this is very important. Well, Payet because he's from the <laughs> Réunion. Apparently that that's why um, you do pronounce the the T. So, yeah, no problems with that one. AJ, are you gonna are you gonna fall on your sword here, or are you gonna stand firm? I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to clap back to that because at the end of the day, if you've got, uh, you know, if you have a, a regional dialect, it's it's important, you know, to to honour the the players' wishes. So from now on, I will endeavour to say Dimitri Payet and not Dimitri Payet. Where's I mean, we already mentioned Saint-Etienne. Where's Timothée Kolochedzak when you need him? Because uh, I feel that, you know, that's always been one of exactly. the most tongue-twisting of names to, to, also, to hand. Yeah, but also what's, what's interesting, like, I remember the Portuguese, I mean, the Portuguese names are tough if you're going to pronounce them like a Portuguese. Um, and yeah. I remember Ronnie Lopez, which I think is pronounced sort of Ronnie Lopes, something like that. And he, when we interviewed him afterwards, he, and we get him to like say his name, and he calls himself Ronnie Lopez. Jonathan David, call, in English anyway, calls himself Jonathan David. Um, Nuno, Nuno Men, you know, I'm I'm going to call Nuno Mendes Nuno Mendes, not Nuno Mendes. Or you know, I'm I'm not. Sh- it's 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 not easy. But I remember correcting uh, the late David Crossan once, and uh, on 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 a, a name that he didn't get that I said, you know, this is not. That's not how the French French pronounce it. And he came back and said, "Okay, well, I didn't want to say this, Matt, but um, you've got to stop pronouncing the C on Laurent Blanc's uh, surname, Laurent Blanc." And and he was right. And he was right. So you know, so there you go. Yeah, I remember I was sitting in a press conference at Euro two thousand and eight with with the Portugal, and and the coach started talking about the player sitting alongside him, who was Nuno Gomes, and I was thinking, who who on earth is Nuno Gomes? And it was, and it was the player, the striker we knew as Nuno Gomez, who was a, a a great striker. So yes, it is a, it is murky waters. And I, I think you know we'd like we, we know that the French sometimes struggle with with anglicised names as well to pronounce them to pronounce them correctly. Just a bit, um, yeah. just a, <laughs> just a bit. Perhaps we should have a little bit of respect for you know, or try to get our head around Portuguese. Portuguese names. Having said that, it is a it is a whole Pandora's box, a kettle of fish, whatever you want to call it. A very difficult name pronunciations, and and poor old Timothy Kolodzicak is is probably one of them. I mean, I, I who knows how you actually say it. Another thing, working on World Cups is is when you all the players at every World Cup do hold a, a name tag in front of them and pronounce their names. And I remember hearing um, Diego Godin. Uh, from Uruguay, say his name, and it was one word, and it was something along the lines of Diechodin, Diechodin, and just you could never really say that unless you're a South American commentator or a or a, or, or an incredible linguist while trying to speak English and say Diechodin. So, so there we go. 
I think that's uh, the Crystal Palace video was a, a good, interesting chat all the same, though. A word on Nantes, because Nantes are proving they're, they're under Antoine Comboare, who's done a, a remarkable job. I mean, few would have thought when he took over that we were going to be talking about a side that are hard to beat, that have a Coupe de France under their belt, uh, that are playing in European football this season. And Matt, Ludovic Blas is still there. He scored from the penalty spot. Moses Simon is still there. I mean, they're not going to set the world alight. They're not the most exciting team on the planet, but they are a good, solid league outside. And I see you shaking your head. What are, no. what are you going to? What do you have to say to us about the Canaries? Well, the thing is, as long as Valdemir Kita is in in charge, you're not going to be too confident about them. Ludovic Blas is there, but you now the rumblings of of, of a move to Lille uh, are not going away. Antoine Comboire, um last week said, you know, we can't sell Ludovic Blas. We can't lose any more players. We have to strengthen. And Keita replied, I think, the same day or the next day saying, um, uh, no good, no good, say, talking to my coach, talking to the press, trying to put pressure on me. I'll do what I want and, and, and what have you. And the thing is, what Comboire did last year was unbelievable to get Nantes sort of ninth. They could even have been higher. They were higher at one point. Um, but, you know, above all, to win the Coupe de France and, and, and to get into Europe. And he hesitated a long time um, before deciding to stay on. And kind of from an outside perspective, you think, you know, poor old Antoine, that was, you know, that was the time to leave because you're just not going to be able to do that well again. You know, the the, the, the players are going to be sold and um, it's going to be a relegation dogfight and, and what have you. But he loves the club. He's a former non-player and... Um, you know he's uh, he's he's also a great man. You talk about Lucien Favre being a great human being. I mean Antoine Comboire is um, an incredibly sort of endearing character who his players absolutely love. So um, you know good good luck good luck to Nantes. I mean they've certainly made one surprising signing um, in in Moussa Sissoko, who nobody really expected to to join um, a club like Nantes. Uh, and I think, you know, a guy with 71 caps, a guy who still has some good years in him. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, he was out at the weekend. He's got a slight hamstring problem. And um, so he, he, he missed the um, the Marseille game. But as you know, Robbie, um, I had the chance to speak to him. So I don't know if you want to tee that up. <laughs> I don't think you've done a pretty good job of it, though. Ex-host Matt Spira of, of Le Beaujeu. The... Um... One thing we talk about, you know, how fantastic Nantes are doing. They have two points. They're without a win. They're one place and on the same one place above Nice, who have just said things are, are not looking good. They're below Monaco and Lille, who have just been on the end of a, of a walloping as well. So, you know, there is work to be done. But I look at a, a team like Ajaxio as well, who are two losses and a draw. And I think they've been playing with great spirit as well so far in their first three matches. And it's narrow losses. And I was expecting Ajaxio to really struggle this season as well. It's good to see that there are teams that don't necessarily have the the means to go out there and spend big and bring in exciting players and play expansive, dominating football that are that are making things hard to beat. But yes, Matt did speak to uh, a certain Moussa Sissoko, a French World Cup winner. He burst onto the scene with that great Toulouse side of about a decade ago that also qualified for European football. Nine years across the channel, 33 years of age now. Nantes got him, and so did we. Matt Spiro spoke to him. So let's hear how he ended up at Le Bourgeois. I've had a, a good uh, 
chat with the manager, a good chat with the with the chairman, and I think as a player, uh, you need to feel that the manager wants you and the club wants you. And then I felt that from uh, from Nantes, of course, I spoke with uh, some other team, but uh, yeah, for me, Nantes was a the best club for me and also for my family and uh, I've been watching them uh, last season so they had a great season uh, they won the, the cup uh, they finished in the top 10 of the of the league so they have a, a strong squad so everything was uh, was there to to come here and then to yeah to play for this team so I'm sure I will not regret so now uh, I will try to, to enjoy my time here and like I said, uh, come with uh, my experience and try to to improve a little bit more the, the team. I'm not saying that I'm coming and I'm going to change everything because I cannot do that. But uh, with everything I learned from the, from the past, with my experience, so I hope I can add something uh, to, the, to the team. And it is a big club in in. France, a club that's been through some some difficult years, um, but we saw the scenes when they when they won the cup ag ag against Nice. So much emotion and so much fervor here among among the supporters. Have you have, have you have you seen the pictures and have you felt the sort of feel good factor returning here? Yeah, I've seen the picture and I was watching the final as well, and then uh, I had some video from some some friends, so I, I could see that uh, all the fans. All the club, everyone was very happy, and it was uh, a big party for the for the city because uh, if you look at the history of Nantes, is uh, one of the biggest club in uh, in France. Uh, they've been eight times champions, and uh, after of course they've been through some difficult moment, and this can happen in football. But uh, I think uh, at the moment they they are back in the right place, and. Uh, the most important one will be to to be consistent, and that is the most difficult thing in the, in football, but also in life. But that's what I'm here is a big challenge, but I'm sure we can uh, we can do it all together. So Matt, you you did the interview with with the World Cup winner Musa Sissoko. He said that Nantes are, are a big club that they wanted to be part of the part of the action. Um, how was he? And do you believe him? Were you convinced by, by, by the banter? Yeah, um, unfortunately, he, he isn't a World Cup winner. Didn't, he, he wasn't in the 2018 oh, really? squad. He wasn't uh, in the... No, I, I was surprised about that. He was, he, was, he was France's man of the match anyway in the Euro 2016 final. And he played in the Euros. Um, so unlu unlucky for him that, that he missed out on that 2018 win. But he's always been one of Deschamps' go-to men. Um, and yeah, I was absolutely convinced. Top man, top professional. Um, I spoke to Antoine Comboare as well about Moussa Sissoko. And, you know, he was like, no, this is a present from the management that I really wasn't expecting. Like an amazing surprise. And even if he doesn't perform brilliantly in every game, like you said, we'll see. But by his presence, um, he's going to be raising the standards around here and everybody looks up to him. And um, yeah, he's, you know... I was watching sort of archives of him at, at, at Toulouse and he is a different player to the one at Toulouse who would be like very much a box-to-box -box midfielder and he, you know, he doesn't cover quite as much ground. But, you know, he, he admitted that and he, he says he'll play you know, a little bit more of a, of a holding role. Um, but he, 
yeah, he still has that ability. Um, no question about that. Last season at Watford, he, Watford had a horrible season. They got all these records for for defeats. And um, I spoke to a, a mate of mine who's a season ticket holder, and I said, "What was he like, Sissoko at Watford?" And he goes, "Oh, but he's the only one. The only one we had. He, he played thirty-eight games. Um, every single game. You know, you could think a guy who's played seventy odd games for France and he's lost ten games in a row for Watford wouldn't really care, but." Uh, yeah, he he has got that incredible sort of professionalism, and um, he showed that at Watford, and he'll show that at Nantes. And, and frankly, they need him. They need him to come back. Like you said, no no wins um, as of yet. I think him alongside uh, Chiri Vera, that 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 should be a good partnership. Um, the concern is perhaps the attack, particularly if they lose Ludovic Blas. They've brought in Evan Gesson. They've brought in uh, Mustafa, Mustafa uh, Egyptian attacker. I'm not too sure how good he's going to be. Um, Mustafa Mohammed. Mm. Yeah, but of course, yeah, sorry, yeah. So they've lost um they've lost Kolumani and uh, you know he was really important for them last season and with the European games to come it's it's going to be a hard season but I do think they've got enough quality to steer clear of of relegation trouble. They're an underrated side, aren't they JJ in terms of I mean I and I I have to say I apologize. I am amazed that he wasn't in that World Cup squad. He just seemed like an ever-present for, for nearly a decade in the in the France team as well when everyone said he wasn't going to be there. I was at the final as well in Moscow. So so there you go. I do feel a little bit stupid. But, JJ, moving right along, Nantes, what do you, what do you make of them? And can Sissico be that, that little element that they need, that little bit of extra leadership that they need? Yeah, I mean, I think the leadership is a, is a key word because when you add a player of that experience to the group, you know, I think that he... You know, he's such a, a seasoned, seasoned head at, at this point in his career. Uh, you know, Nantes are really going to need this because there's a lot of players in that group who won't have tasted uh, continental action uh, in, the, in, the, in the past. It'll be, you know, a new frontier for Nantes. And I agree with Matt as well. I, I was really surprised that Comboare opted to continue, uh, you know, with, with Nantes after what he achieved last season. The only thing that I can imagine is perhaps that Comboare has... A better grasp of what's going on internally at the club at this moment in time than perhaps we do because there's been rumblings that Nantes, you know, might be on the market for some time now, you know, and perhaps a change in ownership, which could give, uh, you know, them a new lease of life, you know, might be closer than we think. And maybe Comboare is sort of banking on him sort of outlasting uh, Walder Marquita. We'll see if that's, you know, close to the mark or not. But, you know, I'm looking at this Nantes side and, you know, they really did um, surpass expectations last season and you know like you guys mentioned as well could have perhaps finished higher than they did you know but to have not back in amongst the silverware after a couple of decades uh, you know away you know that that is a big boost for the French game because Nantes again, you know, one of the famous names uh, of the of the French game. Uh, you know, and also when you've got players of the quality of Alban Lafont in goal, you know, the way that he's performing, sometimes he is worth you know points on his own with some of the saves that he manages to pull off. And when you're potentially looking at a relegation battle at this early stage in the season, I ultimately don't think that they will be scrapping against the drop, but. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, having somebody like that in your team and if Blas stays as well, that would be a, a huge boost because losing Kola Moani, especially on a free transfer, you know, was, uh, you know, a, a blow. But, uh, you know, I do feel that there is enough solidity in this non side to, to avoid the drop and perhaps target another mid-table finish because we don't know how European football is going to impact their performances in the league at this moment in time. You'd have to imagine it'll be slightly detrimental, but... Fingers crossed that that Nock can you know give a good uh, account of themselves on the continent, and we'll see how things uh, play out after that. 
Love the way both of you gentlemen have clearly read the rundown and sticking to it. Nice word about Albon Lafont. It brings us to our next segment, which is the Fans Tribune. Tribune, of course, in uh, in French means a stand in the stadium. You have various tribunes, and uh, and it works having a Fans Tribune in English as well. So let's go. Our first one is from a very regular contributor from down under, Davor Tochakovic. Davor asks about Albon Lafont and his performances over the last few weeks of, well, so far this season, and uh, with an eye on the World Cup. Just very quickly, we'll go to Matt on this one because I know he's a he's a, a, a good mate of Hugo Lloris, or Loris, or Lloris, depending on how you want to pronounce it, depending on where you are from in France. Mike Mignon has probably got that second spot yeah. sealed up, don't you think, as, yeah. as reserve goalkeeper. So is Albon Lafont uh, a chance. We know he's a, a regular at, at youth level and is is ready to step up. He's still only so young, despite having made his debut um, as a as a fifteen year old, a sixteen year old, I think it was, with Toulouse. Now here he is um, knocking on the door for the France squad. What do you think? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. I mean, he's um, yeah a guy who burst onto the scene at seventeen, and we thought he's the next great great goalkeeper. He then sort of struggled a little bit to live up to. Um, that reputation at Toulouse and then at Fiorentina, but now at Nantes, he's you know he's the club captain. He's what well, I'm looking at his age, 23, but already like mature beyond his years. And some of the saves he's making this season, now he is he is absolutely. I I wouldn't say a shoe in because I think what Deschamps has to decide, you know, it's a strange position. The third goalkeeper, you need someone who's going to be um a, you know a good a good lad in in the dressing room and or deal the cards or whatever on the bus and uh, laugh at, um, I was going to say laugh at Frank Ribery's jokes, laugh at Karim Benzema's jokes. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Lafont for me, um, I would definitely have him sort of pushing, push. I mean, you know, Loris has got, he's got a bit of pressure, hasn't he, with uh, Mike Mignon and uh, Albon Lafont coming up. Um, big fan, big fan of Alban Lafont. Yeah, I was going to jump in and say, I mean, you can, you can tell when you go through my Twitter account how long I've been following French football because Brian Bergen is still like, crops up in my Twitter feed from time to time. And now I'm mentioning him because <laughs> he put out an interesting tweet recently where he claims that Benjamin Laurent of uh, Ajaxo is the kind of ideal profile for the third goalkeeper for the upcoming World Cup, where you've got somebody of experience, somebody who's still performing at the highest level. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think when you've got somebody like Lafon, uh, who... I mean, he basically performs almost like at a veteran kind of level. I mean, like Matt said, he's got the experience of already being club captain. Uh, you know, I, I think that sooner or later he is going to be a regular part of the French national team setup. And I don't see why he wouldn't be, uh, you know, for the World Cup, despite the logic of, uh, you know, having, you know, a more seasoned player there. I think it's very rare when you've got a player of La France ability who has that experience. You know, he's already played abroad as well. Uh, you know, and now to be skippering his, uh, his his club team and about to be tasting, uh, you know, continental action with Nantes this season. Uh, you know, I think he has the makings of somebody who could have, you know, sort of long-term durability at international level, especially when you consider that goalkeepers generally tend to play to a, a later age than outfielders as well. I may not have known that uh, or have forgotten or overseen that Musa Sissoko wasn't in the World Cup squad. Alphonse Ariola was third choice goalkeeper, didn't play a minute and won the World Cup in Russia. JJ, next question from Romuald Yorka or Lorca. He's the Frenchie from Evreux, depending on which part of France you're from, of course. It's another double L at the start of that surname. He sees Toulouse fighting or even clinching 
a European spot at the end of the season. What's your take on that briefly? And uh, and can we add a little touch on Clermont in this as well? Because they've impressed so far in these opening three matches of the season as well. But Toulouse, up from the second flight and, and looking the goods. Yeah, I mean, on, on Clermont, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. I don't think that they'll be challenging for a surprise European position. I mean, for, for them to avoid relegation, I think already would be, uh, you know, a huge achievement. They've started the season the way that they needed to. Perhaps that, you know, opening day, uh, you know, humiliation at the hands of PSG has served them well, has raised their level of performance, their application to task. Uh, you know, I, I really rate Gestion as a coach. I think, uh, you know, he does has, has a fantastic man management style of getting getting a lot out of a, a quite a limited bunch of guys with all due respect to, to Clermont and the, the group that they have there. It's going to be a long season though. Uh, I don't think that they'll be sort of in the upper half of the table, but if they can keep themselves away from the trouble zone, you know, perhaps they can manage to, to stay up. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, sort of teams that you expect to, to, to go immediately back down, stay up and then sort of stay in the league for, for longer than expected. And Clermont could be the latest in that series. Now with Toulouse, Toulouse is a very, very interesting project given their focus on data, the way that they got themselves back uh, out of Ligue 2 in Saint-Étienne finding out at the moment. It's not easy when you drop down, especially after the the, the losing run that Toulouse had. Uh, you know, they managed to turn themselves around, now get themselves back into Ligue 1. Uh, and their project is, you know, it's being assembled in in fascinating fashion. You've got Komoli, uh, the president there, um, a good friend of mine, Brendan McFarlane, as well, overseeing the recruitment process. And, uh, you know, I, I think that Toulouse are definitely dark horses to finish in the upper half of the table. I don't, I don't want to put too much pressure on them and say that I think that they will manage to scrape a European place. But when you consider sort of the makeup of this season with the World Cup coming midway through it, uh, you know, stranger things could happen because, you know, I don't think Toulouse will be as impacted by that mid-season World Cup as other teams will be. Certainly some of the bigger teams in Ligue 1 and some of them are already starting fairly slowly. Uh, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me if there's one or two unexpected names up there and Toulouse could be one of those sort of swimming in and about sort of seventh to ninth place. All right. Do you agree with Jonathan Johnson? Moving straight along, Matt, we've got to keep running. We've got to keep moving. I know you want to say that they do have an Australian in Denny Genre who's come off the bench in the first three matches of the season, and that is a very valid point and one we'll be keeping an eye on all season. Our final point from a fan coming up, Guillaume Argo wrote in to just uh, confirm the idea of what a lofter is, because in France we often say, particularly in this stage of the season and again at Christmas time, that there are players in the loft. Well, this came from, and this is a, a, a modern example of uh, modern language influencing football and coming into football. The French first ever Big Brother series in France in the early 2000s was called Loft Story, and it was basically people like Big Brother locked in a room away from the rest of the community and uh, to do their thing, I guess, is, is the easiest way to explain it. Everyone watched them. Not too many people are watching the lofter in football at the moment, but that is where it comes from. There, there are players that are uh, persona non grata in football clubs now. Paris Saint-Germain have a bunch of them. Marseille have a few, and they're training in the loft. Yeah, can at I the just moment. say, Robbie, not in your attic, but just away. The Fr- yeah, yes, just Matt. very quickly, the French they've got some awful like tele reality um, programs, but also the names. When I first arrived in France, I watched. It was it was mainly. To try to get my my French better, it didn't really help. But I watched Nice People. Did you ever see Nice People? So um, <laughs> it, it was a house of people in Nice, 
Um, and they were foreigners. They were all foreigners who could speak a bit of French. So it was quite good for me because it could kind of like improve my French. But yeah, I remember nice people. I remember Loft's story and all that. But yeah, there's so many rubbish. Deli reality. Deli reality. You've just uh, sparked a little memory of mine from when I was first here in, in 2000 as well, trying to improve my French. And they used to have a TV show and probably still do of all TV, bloopl- TV bloopers every week. And it was once a week and all the kids watched it. And, and just a thing lost in translation. I saw this dog barking at the, the camera and the voiceover was doing the, the taxi driver. Are you looking at me? Are you talking to me? What are you looking at? Wh- who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? And then just the dog just went off in the, with the voiceover into a series of expletives in English, just going, what are you? Beep. None of it beep, none of it censored, just random F words and S words and C words bombing left, right and centre for about 15 seconds on this kid's TV show. It was quite brilliant. So the things you can, uh, you can still see on French football. Anyway, that's our Fans Tribune. Get in touch one more time, Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, rate us on your podcast platforms as well. Now... JJ, I know you'll be pleased. Matt as well, because you were there. It all kicked off after just eight seconds at uh, the Stade Pierre Mourois, who I will continue to call it by that name, despite the fact that there's some sponsorship naming going on up there in the north of France now as well. Um, Pierre Mourois, I think, from memory, was a, a long-serving mayor of, of Lille and got the, the stadium named after him as well. But on the football pitch, Matt, Paris Saint-Germain just look untouchable. There were a number of records set last night. Lille's worst ever defeat home or away. Paris Saint-Germain scored seven goals in a Ligue 1 match for just the third time in their history. Kylian Mbappe, after after eight seconds, getting his ninth hat-trick. That's one more than Zlatan ever got for, for Paris Saint-Germain. Where do we start? What do we say? Neymar on fire, Messi firing. It was It was brilliant, Matt. Or was it? Yeah, no, well, I mean, I'd say there are two ways of looking at it. You know, you can look at it and think, <laughs> my goodness me, um, there was no opposition. Um, or you could look at it and think, these guys are phenomenal. And uh, and it was just uh, Im- impossible to, to to play against them. I, I, I went to the game last season where PSG won 5-1. So I was going yesterday thinking, you know, it's not, you know, Lille are going to have learned their lesson. It's not going to be the same again. And um, yeah, just after eight seconds. Listen, I want to say, let, let me get the positives done. Phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when Messi, Mbappe and Neymar are in that sort of mood, you know, there was all the focus on Mbappe and, and, and Neymar. Are they going to be like talking to each other, passing to each other? And, you know, from the yeah, from the word go, yes, they 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 pass to each other a lot. They pass to each other very effectively. That relationship, certainly in a footballing sense, was excellent um, on, on, on Sunday night. Um, uh, just a word about Vitinha as well. Just what a footballer, I mean. Uh, I, don't, I, I hadn't seen much of him, any of him, as far as I'm aware, before, you know, before he joined PSG, he's joined from Porto. And, uh, you know, he already looks like a sort of uh, Verratti Mark II. I mean, just incredible technique, so much fluidity, plays the ball so quickly. So anyway, that that helps a lot. Um, can I just come in, though, with um, with a good girl? Is that is that possible with this? It has to be, Matt. If, if anyone's going to rain on this parade, it has to be Matt Spiro. Go for it. We were all waiting for it. We were expecting it. Okay. Yeah, so, like, brilliant brilliant to score after eight seconds, okay? But, honestly, whatever 
level of football you have played at, you you cannot concede a goal after eight seconds. You cannot. I don't know. I was thinking last night. If you play chess, it's like losing in four moves. You know, it's like everybody knows what's what's coming. Like, um, yeah, it, it, it's just absolutely pathetic. It's such a big match. Um, that's another thing I'll mention. You know, Mohamed Bayo, the Lille striker, was apparently in a nightclub the the night before, and therefore he was sanctioned uh, by the club. You know, what what the hell is he thinking? That's a you know different story. But what are Lille thinking? And I said in the commentary. Were all of them in that nightclub because they were fast asleep at, uh, at kickoff. I spoke to Christoph Galtier after the game. He was obviously delighted, and he said, "You know, it's really nice when you work on something." He said, "We worked on that." Um, he said, "I've I've observed a few things about this Lille team." He obviously knows Lille very very well, um, and he obviously observed that they are kind of asleep at kickoff, or they or they step up and leave massive gaps in 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 behind. So fair play to PSG for exploiting that. I showed my 11-year-old daughter the video this morning and she was in hysterics. And, and I said, yeah, when we play in the garden, like you don't concede a goal like that. So, you know, I, my coup de girl is like, you cannot get more naive and more pathetic in your defending. And from a neutral perspective, that get, it wasn't over after eight seconds, but yeah, you were already fearing the, fearing the worst for Lille. So that's, that's my coup de girl. And while, while I'm on it, I know I'm going on a bit, but... So Lille have lost a lot of players. Paolo Fonseca's got a really big job. Um, they've recouped 100 million euros or more. You know, they've got 40 million for Botman, 40 million for Onana, 15 million for Renato Sanchez. They've invested hardly any of it. So I realise they've got some financial issues. But, you, you know, you're getting a Brazilian centre-half, Alexandro, from the Portuguese second division. You know, let's see how good he is. Um, but totally, totally out of his depth yesterday. You know, you can't get someone for a million euros or on a free to replace Sven Botman and to play alongside Joseph Fon. At halftime, Neymar was walking off with Alexandro with his arm around him, consoling him, saying, come on, you'll be all right. Apologising. Just, you know, keep going, mate. <laughs> I mean, they've got it. You know, Lille are one of the bigger French teams. They've, they, they, they're getting bargain basement signings. Go out, they're going to have to go out and buy Blas and, uh, you know, and spend a bit more money and get a competitive team. Hey, Jay. There's so much and always has been and probably will be again uh, criticism of Neymar Jr. Uh, I think that's five goals and six assists now in three games this season. You can add to that the Trophée des Champions. Uh, Messi is finding the back of the net. He's providing assists. He's, he's loving this new role in behind. Kylian Mbappe, I think that's 175 goals now. He's going to get probably avoiding injury become Paris Saint-Germain's all-time leading goal scorer this season. He needs another 25 to equal Edinson Cavani. And we know there's so much talk about the front three. Yes, Vitinha is there. Sergio Ramos is playing. Donnarumma is, is in goal. Marco Verratti, of course, is, is the best midfielder in the world, in my opinion, and is there. But that front three, when they play like this, and I, it, I don't want to ask this question, but... And it's early days. They've played three sides. They've scored 17 goals in three games to start the league on season. But things are looking very, very good. And especially for that front three, are we going to see a great front three performance from those three all throughout this season? I mean, you, you'd love to think so. You'd love to think that they can replicate what we're seeing in Ligue 1, in the Champions League. Obviously, the big question is, you know, how are the likes of Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, you know, going to fare after the World Cup? 
know, that is a big question because arguably that is part of the motivation that has had Neymar and Messi looking, you know, so sharp, so focused, uh, you know, so purposeful at the beginning of this season. They came back for preseason early, uh, you know, and a lot of people saying, well, that's more because of the World Cup than what's going on at PSG. But also, you know, the fact that, you know, Gatier and, and Campos have come in. Uh, and managed to turn around this PSG project in such a short space of time. Because when you look at that starting 11, there's only really one change from the team that Maurizio Pochettino was putting out on the pitch. And that's that you've got Vitinha in the midfield. Uh, you know, it's kind of pulling off the formation that we speculated for a long time that Pochettino would try, but never really came to fruition. Yes, part of that was because Sergio Ramos was rarely ever fit enough to get on the pitch. But also, uh, you know, I think... With Galtier and Campos has come uh, a new lease of life uh, almost for a lot of these players. It's, you know, it's almost like all of the players have bought in to this new mentality, the, 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 this new way of life. And perhaps it is simply just because it, it suits everybody because it's in the build up to the World Cup. You'd like to think that it will continue, uh, you know, after the World Cup, but we don't know how that's going to impact any domestic seasons, whether it's in Ligue 1 or the Premier League or elsewhere in Europe. Uh, but, you know, things are looking very, very good, very positive for PSG at this moment in time. Some of the criticism when Galtier was appointed relates more to a relative lack of experience on the continental stage, as opposed to the fantastic job that he's done over the last decade or so in Ligue 1. I guess we'll just have to see when PSG, you know, finally take to the pitch uh, in the group stage of the Champions League, how they fare. But, uh, you know, things look very, very bright uh, at Parc des Princes right now. Yes, it's not, you know, completely perfect. There's still some issues to iron out, certainly defensively. But to have Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, you know, looking so complimentary so early in the season, uh, you know, that is a huge, uh, you know, a huge boost for PSG. Uh, and fingers crossed, uh, you know, that they can, you know, take that form, that domestic form uh, onto the continental stage, uh, you know, and really push for, for glory on all fronts. Because we've spoken for a long time about, you know, how nice it would be if PSG were focused solely on what's happening on the pitch. Uh, you know, people are finally getting that now. And when PSG really apply themselves to task fully, uh, you know, uh, on the pitch, these are the kind of performances that you get. Yes, you know, Lille helped them, you know, run up almost a cricket score yesterday with some very naive mistakes, but there were also just some phenomenal goals. You know, Messi's, uh, you know, for the second was absolutely sublime. And you looked at some of the, you know, some of the passes teeing up some of the other goals. Phenomenal. Hakimi, you know, suddenly looks, uh, you know, a, a different player to the second half of last season. Nuno Mendes as well on the left, you know, phenomenal pickup for PSG and, you know, really, showing that uh, form that we saw glimpses of last season, but, uh, you know, with consistency so far this campaign. Just for the record, and there's been so much talk about PSG's start to the season, Reims in 1952 did better. They scored five goals or more in their first four games of the season. So there's still work to be done for PSG. And having scored 17 goals in their first three games, Rennes scored 18 in their first three games of the 1950-51 season and were not crowned champions. So perhaps let's uh, let's not write off the Ligue 1 season just yet. <laughs> Elsewhere, Strasbourg won, Reims won. A good performance from Reims. I watched that one. They've got some exciting young players, including Ito, the Japanese winger. Brest, 3-1 winners away to Angers. Clermont Foot continued their remarkable run against a out-of-sorts Nice side by a goal to nil. Auxerre, or Auxerre, 
depending on where you're from and how you want to say it. Auxerre, 2-1 winners away to Montpellier as well. Toulouse, 2-2 with Lorient. And Rennes with a nice Martin Terrier strike to get them underway. Overcame a hard-to-beat Ayachu, depending on where you're from and how you want to say it. Ajaxio side, Toma Mongani scored a penalty, was told to restart it because he took it before the referee blew the whistle, took it again, saw it saved, and then uh, Ajaxio never managed to get back really into the contest. Ren 2-1 winners there. That's how it was in week three of the season. It's time for us to go, but before we do, let's have a quick look ahead to next weekend's round of matches. Lille will be looking to bounce back away to Ajaxio, Auxerre, Strasbourg, Lens, Rennes in a in a UEFA Cup clash, if you like, from from the old days with those two sides who'll be knocking on the door. Marseille are away to Nice in what is always a fiery derby down there on the Mediterranean coast. Reims entertain Lyon. Can Lyon keep going with their good run at the moment? And then the final match of the round, Paris Saint-Germain against Monaco. Matthew Spiro, bon voyage. Where are you looking to go this weekend? So I'm, I'm tempted to go to Reims, as, as, as I often do, to get some champagne, but above all to see, um, to see my boy Balogun, Fuller and Balogun on loan from, from Arsenal. It's had a, a brilliant Excellent. start. Three, Excellent yesterday as well. Yeah, yeah. three goals uh, already for him in three games. Um, but Nice Marseille is just too tasty, isn't it? It's too tasty. And, you know, from, from an Arsenal perspective, I know, you know, it's not all about Arsenal, but you know, we are, we are top of the Premier League at the moment. So, you know, allow me this little uh, piece of indulgence. Aaron Ramsey against Alexis Sanchez. Like, you know, brilliant. Winding back the clock. Um, big game though, isn't it? Big game for, for Nice. Tough game for Marseille. We've made a, a good start, but you feel that Nice are going to have to produce a, a reaction. Um, and we're, we're in August. And frankly, I haven't had, well, actually, I have had enough sun this summer, um, like most of us, but... <laughs> yeah, not enough beach time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna head down, down to the south. JJ, some exciting clashes in prospect on paper. Teams that need to bounce back, others that need to confirm their form. Where, what's catching your eye? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that I'll be lucky enough to be at Parc des Princes for PSG Monaco next week, so I'll leave that for uh, perhaps for you, Robbie. But if if I had the choice, I, I think I would go to to Lens. I mean, for me, that one really stands out. Fantastic start to the season for the Northerners and Ryan. You know, one of the teams that we sort of expect to be jostling to be sort of best of the rest behind PSG, uh, you know, need to pick up form a little bit, but definitely have, uh, you know, the the players to do that starting to come into, uh, you know, a little form now uh, before they kick off their their European campaign. So uh, I I expect that one to, to deliver, um, you know, and I think it could be a really interesting season for both of those sides, regardless of the result. Well, I will be back in Sydney, Australia, which means that the FC not to lose FC game has the most attractive kickoff time uh, for me. That one kicks off at 11 p.m. in the evening, 1 p.m. the early Sunday kickoff. Thank goodness the LFP instigated this early kickoff time on a Sunday because that makes uh, getting up to watch the football or staying reckon, up a little yeah, bit late you, Rob, a bit you easier. You, and of course, you reckon you'll stay awake? And that, that, that's the sort of game, sort of ten years ago. You that's definitely, going to be hard. Yes, you definitely would have fallen asleep watching. But these days, <laughs> could be good. Could be good. Absolutely, and hopefully, Denis Genre gets a bit of action. Uh, the Paris-born Australian 
international as well in that Toulouse midfield, although their midfield is a, is a quality piece of action there under Philippe Montagnier as well, that Toulouse side. So not easy to get a place in that team, but he certainly has the quality. That's it from us, from Matt Sabiro, JJ, Jonathan Johnson and myself, Robbie Thompson. A pleasure having you with us for this wrap-up of week three of the Ligue 1 season. And we'll be back next Monday. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Merci. It's been an absolute pleasure. And the finish at the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!